1: Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, December the 19th. Got a good show lined up today. In about 10 minutes, I'll be talking about how British Columbians expect food prices to soar, but apparently that isn't enough of an incentive to change the way that we buy our groceries, so I'll be chatting about that here in a little bit. In the back half, I'll be speaking about stand-up comedy. Earlier this month, there was a story that SNL star Pete Davidson was making his audience sign non-disclosure agreements before his shows. That might be normal in some situations, but this one was a little bit over the top. So I'll be joined by comedian Lars Kellyo to discuss that and how the world of comedy is perhaps shifting. And to end off today's show, I'll be helping you get ready to hit the road because it is that time of year where people are getting set to get in those planes, trains and automobiles in order to get home for the holidays. Well, how can you stay safe when driving and what extra precautions can you take? Well, I'll be speaking with BCAA officials about that to end off today's show. But to begin today's program, I am joined in studio by Cam Lawyer and one of the newest members of the Queen's Council, Brad Smith. Brad, thanks so much for taking the time to come in today. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for asking me on the show. Yeah, no, so this seemed like a pretty exciting day for you yesterday. When you you spoke, you said, uh, you know, it was a pretty big one for you. So, uh, you know, one of 26 lawyers across the province to be given this prestigious Queen's Council designation. I mean, maybe just talk a little bit about yesterday and the appointment itself and just sort of what that
2: means for you. Yesterday was an incredible day. It was very exciting. I'm absolutely thrilled to be given this honor um, and uh, it's one of the days that I'll never forget frankly uh, so you've been a lawyer for about 20 years or almost
1: 20 years here now so uh, I mean wh- what exactly I guess changes now now that you're a member
2: of the Queen's Council what is the the big difference or, or what exactly does that mean well Queen's Council goes back about 500 years when Queen Elizabeth the appointed Sir Francis Bacon as her personal legal advisor and he was the first Queen's Council um, In England and in common law countries, uh, that tradition is still maintained largely and Queen's Council are effectively a council that can in theory be called upon by the Crown at any point to provide legal advice. And uh, they're recommended by their peers. They are in British Columbia subject to nomination. Um, The nominations are then uh, screened by an applications committee uh, or nomination committee. Uh, including senior judges, and then uh, those people make a recommendation to the Attorney General, in this case David Eby, who in turn makes a recommendation to the Lieutenant Governor for British Columbia, who is the Queen's representative in in BC, and the appointments are made uh, by that route. So, pretty big
1: deal for, for you to be given this uh, honor, if you will, and, uh, and receive this appointment. Um, can you maybe just take me through your day yesterday a little bit? Like, just what did that look like as you were you know going through this process and, and being given this honor?
2: Yeah, well, it, 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 the, the news actually came out on Tuesday afternoon uh, at about 1 o'clock, the Attorney General's uh, press release. And uh, about 20 minutes later, my I was doing some work, and my phone just exploded. I started getting emails and texts, and and uh, well wishes from from colleagues uh, from all over the province. And pretty much, I've been walking around on cloud cloud nine since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you were in Vancouver, right? Yesterday for for yeah, this? Yeah, I've I've been doing a a, um, a long murder trial down in Vancouver for the last three months, and and so. I uh, took the opportunity to come back yesterday afternoon, back home to Kamloops, and uh, looking forward to spending the holidays with my family.
1: So, I guess, I mean, this is a, a pretty prestigious honor, like I was saying earlier. And, and what do you think? I guess has led to this point. I mean, can you take me through a little bit about uh, through your career here? Maybe just a little bit, in uh, as briefly as you can, just to show how you kind of grown into this position where you are now. Yeah.
2: Um, I I, uh, knew from my early days uh, attending Osgoode Law School in Toronto that I wanted to practice criminal law when I was a lawyer. I focused on uh, criminal law oriented courses while I was in uh, uh, Osgood doing my law degree. Um, I left Ontario after uh, graduating, came out uh, to Vancouver, articled for a a very well-known QC down there who specializes in criminal law. From there, I uh, went and worked for the federal... Um, government, first for the Department of Justice and then for the Public Prosecution Service of Canada in a variety of of prosecutorial roles, uh, culminating, I was was doing large uh, organized crime drug cases. After about uh, 13 years of doing that, I decided I wanted to uh, be self-employed and and opened my own defense practice, and that's what I'm still doing today.
1: Now, over all of that, I mean, I guess, where does this land in terms of personal highlights for you for your career? I mean where does you know being appointed to the Queen's
2: Council rank in terms of uh, you know th- things that you've been able to accomplish? If 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 I might draw this analogy, in one's personal life there are certain memorable days you'll never forget. For example, when you get married the day of your first child is born... Just your professional, first child? <laughs> well, no, I, I, can't, I can't honestly say that, no. Uh, on the professional side of things this ranks up there with that type of a day mm-hmm. it, it's an unforgettable day
1: um and i guess what what um but when we're talking about personal highlights, and this is right up there, you said like uh, some of the more unforgettable or one of the most unforgettable days in terms of uh, your, your career and what you've been able to accomplish. I mean, uh, what are some other highlights? I mean, you've taken me through, uh, you know, sort of how, how, uh, how your career has changed over the years and, and uh, a brief history of it. But I mean, is there any you know, particular cases or landmark cases that you can think of where you're like, that, that's uh, something that really helped lead me into this prestigious uh, lo- spot that I am now?
2: I, I don't think that there's any one particular case. Um, the legal profession is a learned profession. Uh, it requires you to bring your skill and ability to uh, helping people in crisis. Um, my, my work as Crown Counsel was very important to me um, because you, you have tremendous power as Crown Counsel. Over people's lives and whether to charge them with offenses or not is is a is a very great responsibility um, similarly as defense counsel, uh, you deal with people in crisis and you have to help them uh, to the best of your ability and they they trust you to do so and and that's a a trust that I take very very seriously um, so there isn't any one particular event it's it's a life it's a calling mm-hmm. is what it is right aunt well
1: Thanks so much for uh, taking the time here, Brad, to come in and, and talk about your story. I think it's a really, uh, you know, it, like you said, it's a big day for you yesterday, and and uh, yeah, no one can take that away from you now. So thanks so much for taking the time to come in, Brad. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. That was uh, Kamloops lawyer Brad Smith and one of the newest members of the Queen's Council here in B.C. Uh, coming up, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the food-buying habits of British Columbians and what those will look like next year, so stick around for that. It is Thursday, December 19th. Thanks for tuning in here. Higher grocery prices are predicted for next year. A recent joint Dalhousie University and University of Guelph report said that climate change, changes in packaging, trade wars, and other global factors are going to hit our pocketbooks, with B.C. seeing higher-than-average food inflation because of a stronger economy. But despite that news, it doesn't look like B.C. residents are likely to change their food-buying habits in order to cut costs. Joining me now to discuss this is a recent graduate of the Bachelor of of Commerce and Food and Agriculture Business from the University of Guelph, Eamon McGinty. Eamon, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, take me through the little bit first, I guess, when we're talking about higher food prices. I mean, how significant uh, are are these increases going to be? Because I know you guys looked at this a little bit before we get into sort of how this is going to shift buying habits, but just those those changes in food prices, I mean, what what is leading to this? I know I named a couple of factors off the top, but, um, you know, how much more are we looking at spending here?
0: Yeah, so we did an interesting report um, in early December across the country. We we forecasted prices into the, into the 2020 year uh, using using historical data. So um, across the board, uh, for most and I'm sorry, all food categories, um, there's an there's an expected increase between two to four um, percent, and that varies by product and by uh, food category. But across the country, from from coast to coast, we are we are expecting that two to four percent increase um, for Canadians in 2020.
1: So that's a pretty significant increase, two to four percent for the average consumer. That's. Going to cost people quite a bit of money, but it doesn't sound like it's going to have a huge impact. On, in a few places, uh, when we're looking at how it might impact, uh, you know, their grocery shopping habits, I know Ontario and Quebec were among the higher places that said they wouldn't be changing, uh, you know, how they go about buying their food. But BC seemed to be, uh, you know, the the most stubborn, if you will. It's not going to change the way that uh, we here in British Columbia buy our food. So uh, can you take me through just sort of some of that data that you guys collected? I mean, h- how how significant are we looking in terms of people who are basically um, just throwing the fact that inflation and, and food costs rising, uh, they just throw that fact out the window and they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. I mean, how, how, how many people in BC are saying that?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So ar- around 13% of British Columbians uh, told us they weren't uh, going to change any food shopping or consumption habits, even though um, there is a price increase um, forecasted into the future. Um, and they were, they were the least likely across the country, as you mentioned, um, to or least concerned and least likely to change habits and change a consumption pattern. So what, what we looked at, uh, in terms of consumption patterns, in terms of habits was things like restaurants, eating out, uh, coupons, flyers, um, different, revisiting different retail stores, buying in bulk, um, buying more plant-based alternatives, and uh, looking at the freezer aisle as a, as an option for food, um, of those of those habits of those, those of those patterns, uh, British Columbia British Columbians are the least likely to adopt them uh, to to offset inflation. Um, so it was surprising to us, uh, especially you know British Columbia being uh, probably the be leading province in Canada where, when it comes to health and overall food awareness. Um, but also rich in, in availability in most parts of British Columbia of course, um, there's some that aren't but they're rich in availability of, of certain products so um, it was surprising to us actually that they were the least likely to adapt that being said it could also make sense given the awareness factor and, and the importance people place on food in British Columbia that um, inflation wasn't going to affect the way they were going to buy and, and what they were going to buy
1: uh- I mean, it's probably hard to even break this kind of data down when we're talking about reasonings why people wouldn't uh, necessarily, you know, pay attention to to prices and prices increasing. Uh, did you look at any of those factors? Did you look at uh, at at why people's shopping habits wouldn't change? Were there any, uh, you know, reasons provided as to why people wouldn't even really look at prices and and what's going to happen here in 2020?
0: Uh, we weren't really able to distill that down um, in terms of in terms of the data uh, behind the, the answer the, the question of why um, but there there were some interesting um, data that came out of, of, of basically what Canadians would likely intend to do um, with their food to save costs um, and eating from reducing food waste to eating more vegetables, cooking more often. Rodman um, going out, um, snacking schedules and, and things like that, um, but we weren't really able to distill down why 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 a province like British Columbia would have um, a lower um, concern level versus a place like Alberta, which was one of the highest.
1: Now, uh, like you had mentioned there, 13% of British Columbians uh, said they don't intend to change their food shopping or consumption habits. Uh, and that was followed up by the second was Ontario at 11%, Quebec at 10%. I guess wh- what provinces were looking at maybe the lower end? What provinces were were where were a majority of people were planning to, you know, really pay attention to how they go about buying and consuming food? Is there a, is there a big contrast anywhere? Is there any sort of outlier in this data?
0: Um, I think Alberta actually was a very big surprise for us. I wouldn't say it's an outlier, but it was one of the one of the uh, provinces where um, they would they would actually be the most likely to cut out um, restaurants, and eating out. Um, you know, they they're also one of the highest to to respond, saying they were legitimately concerned about food price increases um in their province now that could that could be due to the the current economic situation or the current job um market situation in alberta um we don't we don't know exactly the tie into that but um one could assume that that could that could be a link um and and uh quebec as well was was also concerned with food price increases um but generally speaking across the board coast to coast i mean Almost 9 of 10 Canadians told us that they felt like food prices were increasing faster than their household incomes, which is, um, which is quite, quite significant if you think about it that way.
1: Yeah, that's definitely uh, significant. I mean, uh, people are clearly wanting to save money, but if uh, if the f- cost of food, I mean, something that we have to buy in order to survive is going up faster than uh, the salaries or the money that we make, I mean, that's uh, obviously a concern for a number of people. Um, can you take me through at all how much people are, are potentially going to be spending? I don't know if you guys uh, are able to, to, to really say how much an average person, I guess, might be spending uh, in 2020 compared to their groceries. Budget in 2019. Did you guys look at any of that data?
0: We did with the previous study, um, and the one we're talking about today is is yeah. building on a larger report we did in, in uh, two weeks ago in, on Canada's food prices. So in that in that report, we're referring to uh, we forecasted Canadian households, which is an average of four people, um, would be spending over twelve thousand five hundred dollars a year um, on food and uh, food related items. Um, that's an increase of around $500 from 2019. Um, so we're, we're we're looking at um, a, a, a multiple different things that led us to this figure, but the main things would be the consumer price index, um, wage stagnation. So wages not keeping up with inflation, and of course, looking at inflation, uh, cost of living uh, as well. So so that gave us um, that gave us a, a, an interesting number for 2020. Um, just to put it into context, for for 2019, our our, um, our projected figure of that uh, annual cost for an average household, uh, we missed the mark by $23. So we were pretty close um, as to how Canadians spend in 2019. Um, so hopefully we get it right in 2020. But um, usually it's it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty close to what uh, what actually happens.
1: Yeah, definitely some interesting information here and and something that I think all consumers need to to think about when they are heading to the grocery store, just uh, how much money they're spending compared to previous and and just how much of an impact that's going to have on their budgets moving forward. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Eamon. I really appreciate you taking the time. Lots of interesting information here, and, and I think it's something for all of us to think about. Hey, my pleasure right on. That was Eamon McGinty with the University of Guelph talking about uh, a study that looks at just how many people are planning to change their food buying habits when they go to the grocery store come 2020 with the cost of food set to go up quite a bit next year. Like he had said, uh, Eamon mentioned, $500 more next year compared to this year for the average household when looking at buying food for the course of the year. That's quite a significant increase, at least in my head it is. So uh, I know I'll be taking a, a, a bigger look, a longer look at those prices when hit the grocery store uh, come 2020. Uh, coming up after the break we'll be talking about the nature of comedy. Pete Davidson is making people sign non-disclosure agreements before watching his shows here. That story came out earlier this month and I'll be talking with Lars Kellio about that after this.
0: You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Thursday, December 19th. Earlier this month, there was, at least what I found, to be a pretty interesting story out of the world of comedy. Saturday Night Live cast member and stand up comedian Pete Davidson was making guests at his show sign a one million dollar non disclosure agreement before coming to see his performances. Uh, In the NDA, the signer cannot give any interviews, opinions, critiques about any whatsoever, any form whatsoever. That includes Twitter, blog, Facebook, Instagram, or any other social networking. Uh, this NDA also authorizes the performer to seize and destroy the contents of any phones or cameras, that, bre- that and that any breach of the agreement will require payment of $1 million in damages as well as legal costs. Now, from what I have read and heard, this NDA would likely not hold up in court, but for me anyways, it still raises the question, is this sort of the future of live performances and, and comedy in general? I mean, can we not go and watch someone deliver their art and their intellectual property without being threatened with some sort of lawsuit? Well, I'm joined on the phone now by a veteran of the comedy world. He's been doing stand up for more than fifteen years. He's performed for the military on five occasions and has actually just returned this past Friday from Alert, where he did a second tour for the Canadian Armed Forces. Here is Lars Kellyo. Lars, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, right, thanks for having me. So, I mean, have you ever heard of this kind of thing that was, was happening with Pete Davidson here? I mean, when you've been doing tours, I and mean, you've been doing this for quite some time, um, you know, have you ever seen anyone really kind of have this, I, I don't know, power trip, if you will, and, and make people sign these non-disclosure agreements?
3: No, I, I mean, this is a first, certainly, and um, fascinating, really interesting. I've I've been to some shows where they make you lock up your phones. They have little bags that they, you know, lock and unlock. If you If you need your phone, you can go access it in an area. So recording of it and playing of it, you know, I think, you know, could hurt the use of the material later if you were trying to sell a a comedy album or a special. But I, I when I read this, when you sent this to me, I was I would love to know if this was a marketing team that came up with this idea simply to get press.
1: Yeah, that's, that is one of the theories out there that it's just a way to, to get this story out there. The fact that Pete would be touring and now we're talking about his show and the fact that we have to sign this NDA if we want to go see him is definitely good publicity. It's good press for him for sure. Um, uh, I mean, it makes sense. Like you had said, if if you're going to see a special that's going to be put out on Netflix or something that, you know, you wouldn't want that material out there. Uh, but. What was I think the weird part for me about this whole thing was that uh, you know in this NDA was asking don't do any interviews with the press and don't blog about my show like you can't even have an opinion about the material it's just so so bonkers right yeah yeah and and so when you th- when
3: I think about the big shows that I've seen if you've gone to see Russell
1: Peters if you've
3: gone to see Amy Schumer um, you know Bill Burr Jim Jeffries when you leave that show. I have, I have on very few occasions seen somebody post about the content. It's, I just saw Amy Schumer. She was great. I just saw Jim Jeffries. He was fantastic. They have got a picture of them in the, in the venue, you know, or outside or next to a poster. I haven't seen in my 15, 16 years doing stand-up comedy, I haven't seen somebody try and quote a joke. You know, so it's not human nature to leave and go. Man, I just watched Bill Burr do a great joke about an anthill, you know, or whatever the joke was. And to feel like for Pete Davidson to say, you know, I feel like this would take away from somebody else's experience or me sharing the material later, I, I just think it's too ridiculous. And I think if if I were to be reach this level of fame and to have this, I would definitely have a clause like this in my contract. But the clause would be um, – Don't try and retell the jokes to your friends because you're bad at it. Uh, And don't tell me a street joke after the show. That would be my only, (laughs) can I tell you a joke? And some occasionally, one out of every thousand will be funny, but the rest of them are always a little suspect.
1: That's a pretty low percentage, that's for sure. Um, Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you, you've you done uh, a special, right? You, you've you had your, your work out there on cable TV, and, and you've been able to tour with some pretty big names, uh, Joan Rivers, Bob Saget, Martin Short. Like, these are super, super famous people. Um, you know, do they, and, and in your experience, has anyone really had uh, major concerns when it comes to material, uh, you know, that they're working on and trying to perfect, I guess, for, you know, their their big tours or their main shows or or their specials? Is there a big fear that this stuff gets leaked? Is that something that you hear about pretty often in the industry?
3: You know, I think that the people who turn over a lot of material, and every time I toured with Joan, she did, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of new material. She didn't protect that material. Um, And and I don't know if it was just because she didn't care if it was apathy or if she realized, well, I'm going to create new material. You know, so Bob Saget didn't make people lock up their phones. Martin Short, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, none of these people made anybody zip up their phones. And I think that they kind of accepted that some of it might leak out but it's often such low quality. The audio's bad, There's this shaky camera work through a, a camera phone. And in all of my experience watching them deal with media and people and public, they were so gracious and so generous with their time. And I only once ever saw something where they were a little protective. And, and I you know, hadn't even thought about it till this moment. Bob Saget, who was truly, is truly one of the nicest guys you'll ever work with, they were doing an interview, and he asked them ahead of time, "Are you planning on using this on, the, you know, a site or a, And so he didn't want it to be monetized. You know, he's like, "I'll grant you the interview. I'll do this for your whatever it was, your website or your blog, but I don't want people to be paying to see this interview because that's not really fair to Bob Saget because he's not being compensated for it." Mm-hmm. Um, and the the approach was really nice. He was gentle with it. He's like. You know, I have to ask, are you planning on making this a pay-to-see thing? And the people were like, no. And then he said, okay, great, no problem. And so that was the only time in probably 30 shows with celebrities that I ever watched somebody be a little protective of the content.
1: Do you, do you think that that might change at all, though, as we as we move forward and even more? I mean, it's I don't know how we can get even more, uh, you know, stuck in this digital age where it seems like, you know, anything and everything that you do is recorded somewhere and ends up on the Internet somehow. But, um, you know, as more and more people are, are being exposed and it feels like, you know, a lot of comedians are getting these uh, specials on streaming services and, and, you know, there's a lot uh, out there and a lot of different people that are being able to put this material out for, for the public to see. I mean, just do, do you see maybe a trend at all? we I don't want to say it's going to go to this extreme that Pete Davidson has done in making people sign this $1 million non-disclosure agreement, but do you think there'll be maybe more of this kind of stuff out there now that you know this news is out there and like I said, a lot more people are, are having their work kind of exposed to the, to the media?
3: I don't think so. It's a great question. I think that that, that is a question, a, a fantastic question, but... With so much content, you know, YouTube adds billions of hours of content every week, month, a year. Um, I think that it's so hard to break through the white noise as an entertainer, and certainly as an entertainer in Canada, that to try and break through with something to go viral, you know, you think about the, the yodeling kid in a Walmart or wherever he was, or all of these people that end up, end up on Ellen DeGeneres. It would be better for your career to have something hopefully good. You know, you do some, you give somebody your jacket or, you know, you do something kind and thoughtful and to have that go viral, that would do more for your career than an appearance on the tonight show would these days. So I, I don't know too many, we don't want to look bad. It's very easy to make a comedian look bad if they're working on a new joke. And so if somebody's sitting there with their camera phone, what I do is if I'm if I see somebody recording in my show if I have a cordless mic I'll go out and I'll take their phone and turn it around and record them laughing at a joke. I go, "Hey, here's here's you laughing at one of your own jokes." So I don't I I want to make it gentle in my request to ask them to stop recording, but it's because I'm about to try a new bit that if they go, "Here's world-famous comedian Lars Kelly doing a new joke, and, it, and it's terrible. And it just might be. You know, you, you tell a joke that d- doesn't land, and you look very pedestrian. You know? mm-hmm. So I think you're protective of how it gets released. You know, if I see somebody, you know, and it's happened a few times, where somebody has actually set up a camera, like a, a you know, digital camera, and I walk over and go, what was your plan here? And they go, oh, we, we record your show, and then we use it as promo for our comedy event next year. And I go, yeah, you can't really do that. (laughs) Um, You know, then they've got an hour of a bootleg, you know, of your (laughs) material. So what I, what I, I, the offer I make to in situations like that is I'll do five minutes of jokes at the start. it will be stuff that's already on television. Some of my specials that, you know, that have already aired on TV and after the five minute mark, would you please turn that camera off and turn it away from the stage? Because then if you, you know, it's, it would be so easy to cherry pick clips to make you look, uh, you know, you saying something that was, that was unfunny or, you know, they just take one word out of context and it's easy to make you look pretty bad. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I think, you know, knowing a lot, of, a lot of comedians, I don't know too many that are, that are protective of anything other than something that makes them look less than great as far as the material.
1: Uh, one question I have for you because uh, it's sort of counterintuitive to some of the stuff that you had just said and this probably doesn't apply to very many at least not you know those who are really touring comedians but I did have one that I spoke to one time who said uh, he put out a, a special on cable it was probably a half hour I can't remember exactly um, and I won't name any names but he, he basically said that having that half hour out there was one of the worst things that happened to him because it took all his good jokes and then he had no good jokes left for anyone to see uh, when they came to see his show have you heard of any complaints like That from anybody else where just some material gets out there and and now they they don't have any really good stuff left to to tell people?
3: Well, I think that that, um, you know, that'd be a comment on how much you write. I think it's very easy for us to get, as comedians, to get a little bit lazy and complacent. So if you took, it takes 10 years to create that first 45 minutes, that 12 years, 15 years. And then once you release it, it, I mean, it is, now you're starting from scratch again. And there's a movie called Comedian that Jerry Seinfeld did about starting from scratch. Um, So I've had this couple come up to me in Winnipeg. There's a fantastic comedy club called Rumors Comedy Club in Winnipeg. And they came up and said, we watched your special on the Comedy Network and we came down to count the number of jokes you repeated. And and uh, I said, how many did I repeat? And they said, and it's the 60-minute set. So they go, you repeated two jokes off your comedy special. And so I go, did you enjoy the show? And they said, yeah, it was great. And I'm like, that's that's how you chose to, to to spend your Friday night was to watch my comedy special and then come down and call me out for repeat. Like they were surprised that the material had turned over the way it had. But you know I you know I just recorded another comedy album on November 15th that I'll be you know, releasing in January or February, the creation process is a lot of fun, but it is very daunting. It is terrifying because you have this joke that lands every time. As soon as it's on TV, the element of surprise is removed and anybody who watched your special or listened to your album on SiriusXM or wherever, they go, oh, I heard that joke. And it certainly happened. You know, people go, ah, you know, I heard some of that stuff before. And I'm like, yeah, it took me, 15 years to make that yeah you know so yeah I, I think you know and i think if you're just creating as much as you can which is fun for most musicians comedians actors writers you know so the creation process is one of the reasons we do it and so to have somebody go all your good jokes are gone yep I, a lot of mine are um but hopefully you've outgrown that your past that particular piece of work as a as a comedian
1: uh, well, Lars, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time here, but this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and and, and speaking with me. I think it's an interesting subject, and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the world of comedy is, is shaped moving forward. So thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Right on. That was Lars Kellyo, comedian, 15-year vet in the industry, talking about uh, Pete Davidson, Saturday Night Live actor, uh, who was making people sign non-disclosure agreements before his shows. So an interesting concept here in the world of comedy, and uh, wondering if that's going to be the case and a more popular thing that happens moving forward. Well, coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking about getting set to hit the road for the holiday season. So stick around.
0: Thank you.
1: Welcome back into the Jeff Andrea Show. It is Thursday, December 19th. We're now less than a week away from Christmas and I'm sure many out there are just watching the clocks, just waiting for Friday evening to come so you can officially be on your holidays. You can get in your car, hit the road and get to wherever you might be going, whoever you might be visiting. You know, you're you're probably excited to get to your destination, but Before you do that, you should probably take the time to make sure you're going to be safe while you are out on the road. And here to talk about that now is BCAA driving expert Josh Smythe. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So, yeah, I mean, it's that time of year where, you know, of course, it's winter and we never know what the weather is going to be like on any given day, uh, you know, particularly when we're looking at places like the Coquihalla and, you know, just the the, the crazy shifts in weather that we can see when we're up there. But, uh, you know, when when people are, you know, planning to get ready for, for their drives to visit their family and their friends here over the holiday season, and especially if they are going on any kind of lengthy drives, I guess, what tips and tricks do you have for people who are wanting to make sure they stay safe? Well,
4: you know, in this holiday season, everybody's preparing their presents and their their, their food for their travels, and you know we, we want to make sure that people are preparing their vehicles as, as effectively as well um, you know some of the, some of the tips might might sound uh, you know a little bit routine, you know like jumper cables and stuff like that to stay in the truck, but uh, you know some of the uh, important ones that are sometimes overlooked are, are little things like letting people know your, your general path of travel your, or your expected time of arrival, uh, keeping some warm clothes and, and some non-perishable food inside the car, or even something as simple as sunglasses to combat any glare in, in the event you actually have some good sunshine and it's you know, snow on the ground and ice. You don't want to become snow blind in those conditions.
1: Yeah, so a lot of things that people could potentially put in their car, uh, you know, when we're looking at maybe an emergency preparedness kit or whatever the term you might want to use for it. Um, you know, what are some of the things that uh, should go in there? You had mentioned, uh, you know, uh, some some blankets maybe, uh, you know, uh, jumper cables. What else should people have in any sort of emergency kit? In case something were to happen, you were to get stuck on the road and and no one were to be able to find you for however, you know, much time might pass. Who knows? Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's 12. Who, who, you never know, right, how long you could be stuck for. So just if you are going to be in that situation and you're, you're getting ready to drive and you're worried about potentially something happening, what could you put in that kit to make sure you're going to make it through a night?
4: Well, there are important things to keep in that kit. And like you said, it, it can turn into a lengthy wait. So we want to prepare for the, uh, you know, the worst but hope for the best. Um, you know, so some highly visible outerwear in the event you need to leave the vehicle. You know, some safety cones are important. You know, the aforementioned jumper cables um, you know, some windshield washer fluid, some extra fluid in there in the event that you run out halfway through your travels. Those are often important. Uh, some peri- non-perishable food and some water again in, in case that the stay is a little lengthy and, and some extra warm clothes in the event that your car doesn't run and you, need, you do need to stay warm for a little length of time. Uh, that in addition to making sure that the batteries are, are charged, you know, you want to keep some fresh ones every year just put some good batteries in there and be prepared for it in case you need them
1: yeah and, and speaking of batteries i guess too another important one now is making sure that your cell phone's fully charged before you hit the road because you never know when you might uh you know need that that extra juice to maybe call bcaa in order to to get some help you know
4: oh absolutely absolutely and of course people often use their phone for gps and such which would drain the battery and if you find yourself on a, on a path maybe there's a down tree or something where you need to change your path and you need to refer to your GPS, you'll, you, you might find your batteries depleted a little quicker than you would normally have it depleted. So, you know, having an, a portable uh, booster battery for your phone itself is, is a, a good item to have inside your car as well.
1: How often do you know, like, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, but uh, do you know how frequently people are, uh, you know, calling for BCAA to come and help them out when they are on the side of the road and it is the middle of winter? I mean, you guys must deal with quite a few calls on a pretty frequent basis uh, for people who are needing, you know, whether it be a battery boost or or something worse, you never know, right? So, I mean, just do you have any idea how often in the middle of winter people are, you know, maybe calling and, and looking to get some help?
4: Um, well, numbers-wise, I, I don't have the exact numbers near me right now, but we, we definitely see an increase in the volume in the winter time. Anytime there's an extreme of weather, you know, be it hot weather or cold weather, uh, of course, being winter, it brings on its own own issues, you know, and, and, and it's not just, you know, the, the snow. It's sudden weather changes and, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we just want to make sure that every, everybody out there is, is doing their due diligence to make sure they're prepared for this kind of thing.
1: And uh, one more thing before I get you out of here, it's probably pretty simple and uh, pretty straightforward and makes sense when you say it out loud, but not necessarily everyone's going to do it. But uh, make sure that, you know, when you are hitting the road that you are driving to your conditions, right? I mean, people could get pretty excited to get to their destination and and maybe their foot hits the gas a little harder than normal because of it. But that's uh, probably something that people should keep in mind when they hit the roads.
4: Oh absolutely. You know we see speed limits on the side of the road. Um, You know those are limits that are based on ideal conditions. Um, Driving in the winter are are less than ideal. So you know don't feel the need to achieve the speed limits. You don't want to brake suddenly. You don't want to turn suddenly or swerve suddenly. You know anything like that can certainly put you in a less than advantageous position.
1: Well, Josh, a lot of good tips in there, and uh, I know hopefully people are taking them and, and heating them because you never know what can happen when you are on the side of the road and, and uh, a sudden snowstorm hits or, or whatever the case may be, and you might be stuck for some time, and I definitely want you to, to, to stay safe and, and make sure you get the help you need. So thanks so much for taking the time, Josh. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Right on. That was BCAA driving expert, Josh Smythe. So, yeah, some good tips and and some good advice there for everyone who's planning to uh, hit the road this holiday season and and go visit friends and family for the the Christmas holidays or whatever holiday you are, in fact, celebrating. Uh, You know, you definitely want to get to your destination safely and uh, make sure you do pack that emergency kit because you just never know. You hope you never use it, but when you need it. You're glad it's there, right? Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 9.